Chapter Thirteen of When a Man Marries by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. He does not deny it. Aunt Selina got up the next morning, and Jim told her all the strange things that had been happening. She fixed on Flanagan, of course, although she still suspected Betty of her watch and other valuables. The incident of the comfort she called nervous indigestion and bad hours. She spent the entire day going through the storeroom and linen closets, and running her fingers over things for dust. Whenever she found any, she looked at me, drew a long breath, and said, Poor James! It was maddening, and when she went through his clothes and found some buttons off, Jim didn't keep a man, and Takahiro had stopped at his boots. She looked at me quite awfully. His mother was a perfect housekeeper, she said. James was brought up in clothes with buttons on, put on clean shelves. Didn't they put them on him? I asked almost hysterically. It had been a bad morning, after a worse night. Everyone had found fault with the breakfast, and they straggled down one at a time until I was frantic. Then Flanagan had talked to me about the pearls, and Mr. Haberson had said, Good morning, very stiffly, and nearly rattled the inside of the furnace out. Early in the morning, too, I overheard a scrap of conversation between the policeman and our gentleman adventurer from South America. Something had gone wrong with the telephone, and Mr. Haberson was fussing over it with a screwdriver and a pair of scissors, all the tools he could find. Flanagan was lifting rugs to shake them on the roof, Bella's order. "'Wash the table linen,' he was grumbling. "'I'll do what I can that's necessary.' grub has to be cooked and dishes has to be washed i'll admit that if you're particular make up your bed every day i don't object but don't tell me we have to use thirty-three table napkins a day what did folks do before napkins was invented tell me that triumphantly what's the answer mr haberson inquired absently evidently with the screwdriver in his mouth use their pocket handkerchiefs and if the worst comes to the worst, Mr. Haberson, these folks here can use their sleeves, for all I care, not that the women has any sleeves to speak of. Wash clothes I will not. Well, don't worry Mrs. Wilson about it, the other voice said. Flanagan straightened himself with a grunt. Mrs. Wilson, he said, a lot she would worry. She's been a disappointment to me, Mr. Haberson, me thinking that now she'd come back to him after leaving him the way she did. They'd be like two turtle doves, Lord, the cook next door. But what the cook had told about Bella and Jimmy was not divulged, for the Haberson man caught him up with a jerk and sent Flanagan, grumbling with his rugs to the roof. It did not seem possible to carry on the deception much longer, but if things were bad now, what would they be when Aunt Selina learned that she had been lied to, made ridiculous, generally deceived? and how would I be able to live in the house with her when she did know? Luckily, everyone was so puzzled over the mystery in the house that numbers of little things that would have been absolutely damning were never noticed at all. For instance, my asking Jimmy at luncheon that day if he took cream in his coffee, and Max coming to the rescue by dropping his watch in a glass of water and creating a diversion, and giving everybody an opportunity to laugh by saying not to mind it had been in soap before. Just after luncheon, 
Aunt Selina brought me some undergarments of Jim's to be patched. She explained at length that he had always worn out his undergarments, because he always squirmed around so when he was sitting, and she showed me how to lay one of the garments over a pillow to get the patch in properly. It was the most humiliating moment of my life, but there was no escape. I took my sewing to the roof, while she went away to find something else for me to do, when that was finished, and I sat with the thing on my knee and stared at it while rebellious tears rolled down my cheeks. The patch was not the shape of a hole at all, and every time I took a stitch I sewed it fast to the pillow beneath. It was terrible. Jim came up after a while and sat down across from me and watched, without saying anything. I suppose what he felt would not have been proper to say to me. We had both reached the point where adequate language failed us. Finally he said, "'I wish I were dead.' "'So do I,' I retorted, jerking the thread. "'Where is she now?' "'Looking for more of these,' I indicated the garment over the pillow, and he wiggled. "'Please don't squirm,' I said coldly. "'You will wear out your lingerie, and I will have to mend them.' He sat very still for five minutes when I discovered that I had put the patch in crosswise instead of lengthwise, and that it would not fit. As I jerked it out, he sneezed. "'Or sneeze!' I added venomously, You will tear your buttons off, and I will have to sew them on. Jim rose wrathfully. Don't sit, don't sneeze, he repeated. Don't stand, I suppose, for fear I will wear out my socks. Here, give me that. If the fool thing has to be mended, I'll do it myself. He went over to a corner of the parapet and turned his back to me. He was very much offended. In about a minute he came back, triumphant, and held out the result of his labor. I could only gasp. He had puckered up the edges of the hole like the neck of a bag, and had tied the thread around it. "'You—you you won't be able to sit down,' I ventured. "'Don't have any time to sit,' he retorted promptly. "'Anyhow, it will give some, won't it?' "'It would if it was tied with elastic instead of thread. Have you any elastic?' Lolly came up just then, and Jim took himself and his mending downstairs. Luckily, Aunt Selina found several letters in his room that afternoon while she was going over his clothes, and as it took Jim some time to explain them, she forgot the task she had given me altogether. When Lolly came up to the roof, she closed the door to the stairs, and coming over, drew a chair close to mine. "'Have you seen much of Tom today?' she asked as an introduction. I suppose you mean Mr. Haberson, Lolly, I said. No, not any more than I could help. Don't whisper, he couldn't possibly hear you. And if it's scandal, I don't want to know it. Look here, Kit, she retorted. You needn't be so superior. If I like to talk scandal, I'm not so sure you aren't making it. That was the way right along. I was making scandal. I brought them there to dinner. I let Bella in. And, of course, Anne came up then, and began on me at once. "'You are a very bad girl,' she began. "'What do you mean by treating Tom Haberson the way you do? He is heartbroken.' "'I think you exaggerate my influence over him,' I retorted. "'I haven't treated him badly, because I haven't paid any attention to him.' Anne threw up her hands. "'There you are,' she said. "'He worked all day yesterday, fixing this place for you. "'Yes, for you, my dear.' I am not blind. 
and last night you refused to let him bring you up he told you i flamed he wondered what he had done and as you wouldn't let him come within speaking distance of you he came to me i am sorry anne since you are fond of him i said but to me he is impossible intolerable my reasons are quite sufficient kit is perfectly right anne leila broke in i tell you there is something queer about him she added in a portentous whisper anne stiffened he is perfect she declared of good family warm-hearted courageous handsome clever what more do you ask honesty said leila hotly that a man should be what he says he is anne and i both stared it is your mr haberson leila went on who tried to escape from the house by putting a board across to the next roof i don't believe it said anne you might bring me a picture of him board in hand and i wouldn't believe it don't then lolly said cruelly let him get away with your pearls they are yours only as sure as anything the man who tried to escape from the house had a reason for escaping and the papers said a man in evening dress and light overcoat i found mr haberson's overcoat to-day lying in a heap in one of the maids rooms and it was covered with brick dust all over the front a button had even been torn off pooh anne said when she had recovered herself a little there isn't any reason as far as that goes why flanagan shouldn't have worn tom's overcoat or any of us flanagan leila said loftily why his arms are like piano legs he couldn't get into it as for the others there is only one person who would fit or nearly fit that overcoat and that is dallas anne while anne was choking down her wrath leila got up and darted out of the tent when she came back she was triumphant look she said holding out her hand and on her palm lay a lightish brown button i found it just where the paper said the board was thrown out and it is from mr haverson's overcoat without a doubt of course i should not have been surprised a man who would kiss a woman on a dark staircase a woman he had known only two days was capable of anything kit has only been a little keener than the rest of us lolly said she found him out yesterday upon my word said anne indignantly preparing to go if i didn't know you girls so well i would think you were crazy and now just to offset this i can tell you something flanagan told me this morning not to worry that he has my pearl collar spotted and that young ladies will have their jokes yes as i said before it was a cheerful joy-producing situation i sat and thought it over after anne's parting shot when leila had flounced downstairs things were closing in i gave the situation twenty-four hours to develop at the end of that time flanagan would accuse me openly of knowing where the pearls were i would explain my silly remark to him and the mine would explode under aunt selina i was sunk in dejected reveille when someone came on the roof when he was opposite the opening in the tent i saw mr haberson and at that moment he saw me he paused uncertainly then he made an evident effort and came over to me you are better to-day quite well thank you i am glad you find the tent useful does it keep off the wind 
it is quite a shelter frigidly he still stood struggling for something to say evidently nothing came to his mind for he lifted the cap he was wearing and turning away began to work with the wiring of the roof he was clever with tools one could see that if he was a professional gentleman burglar no doubt he needed to be after a bit finding it necessary to climb to the parapet he took off his coat without even a glance in my direction and fell to work vigorously one does not need to like a man to admire him physically any more than one needs to like a racehorse or any other splendid animal no one could deny that the man on the parapet was a splendid animal he looked quite big enough and strong enough to have tossed his slender bridge across the gulf to the next roof without any difficulty and coordinate enough to have crossed on it without a flourish to safety just then there was a rendering tearing sound from the corner and a muttered ejaculation i looked up in time to see mr haberson throw up his arms make a futile attempt to regain his balance and disappear over the edge of the roof one instant he was standing there splendid superb the next the corner of the parapet was empty all that stood there was a broken splintered post and a tangle of wires i could not have moved at first at least it seemed hours before the full significance of the thing penetrated my dazed brain when i got up i seemed to walk to crawl with leaden weights holding back my feet when i got to the corner i had to catch the post for support i knew somebody was saying oh how terrible over and over it was only afterward that i knew it had been myself and then some other voice was saying don't be alarmed please don't be frightened i'm all right i dared to look over the parapet finally and instead of a crushed and unspeakable body there was mr haberson sitting about eight feet below me with his feet swinging into space and a long red scratch from the corner of his eye across his cheek there was a sort of mansard there with windows and just enough coping to keep him from rolling off i thought you had fallen all the way i gasped trying to keep my lips from trembling i-oh don't dangle your feet like that he did not seem at all glad of his escape he sat there gloomily peering into the gulf beneath if it wasn't so er messy and generally unpleasant he replied without looking up i would slide off and go the rest of the way you are childish i said severely see if you can get through the window behind you if you cannot i'll come down and unfasten it but the window was open and i had a chance to sit down and gather up the scattered ends of my nerves to my surprise however when he came back he made no effort to renew our conversation he ignored me completely and went to work at once to repair the damage to his wires with his back to me i think you are very rude i said at last you fell over there and i thought you were killed the nervous shock i experience is just as bad as if you had gone all the way he put down the hammer and came over to me without speaking then when he was quite close he said i am very sorry if i startled you i did not flatter myself that you would be profoundly affected in any event oh as to that i said lightly it makes me ill for days if my car runs over a dog he looked at me in silence 
"'You are not going to get on that parapet again.' "'Mrs. Wilson,' he said, without paying the slightest attention to my question, "'will you tell me what I have done?' "'Done? Or have not done? I have racked my brains. Stayed awake all of last night. At first I hoped it was impersonal. That—' woman like you were merely venting general disfavor on one particular individual but your hostility to me personally i raised my eyebrows coldly interrogative perhaps he went on calmly perhaps i was a fool here on the roof the night before last if i said anything that i should not i ask your pardon if it is not that i think you ought to ask mine I was angry enough then. There can be only one opinion about your conduct, I retorted warmly. It was worse than brutal. It, it was unspeakable. I have no words for it, except that I loathe it, and you. He was very grim by this time. I have heard you say something like that before, only I was not the unfortunate in that case. Oh! I was choking. Under different circumstances, I should be the last person to recall anything so personal. But the circumstances are unusual. He took an angry step toward me. Will you tell me what I have done, or shall I go down and ask the others? You wouldn't dare, I cried. Or I will tell them what you did, how you waylaid me on those stairs there, and forced your caresses, your kisses, on me. Oh, I could die with shame. The silence that followed was as unexpected as it was ominous. I knew he was staring at me, and I was furious to find myself so emotional, so much more the excited of the two. Finally I looked up. "'You cannot deny it,' I said, a sort of anticlimax. "'No.' He was very quiet, very grim, quite composed. "'No,' he repeated, judicially. I do not deny it. He did not, or he would not? Which? End of chapter 13